morning again. I'm Pastor Evan. It is amazing, isn't it, that God's creation preaches to us about new creation right there in the butterfly. That's remarkable. Thank you, Jordan. So that was the first sermon. Now we'll just uh, do the concluding hymn and be done. Actually, let's read our scripture right now. I'm going to invite you to turn to Romans 8, verses 5 through 8. It's just a couple verses, but there's an awful lot going on in those couple of verses. And let's focus our attention, our minds on that, and let's, in fact, invite the Holy Spirit to come and direct us as we do that. So let's read the scripture and begin. Romans 8, 5 through 8 says, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. The word of the Lord. Uh, as we begin, uh, our, our family, I'll mention this twice in the sermon and uh, give you more information later because it relates both times, but our family just moved half a mile south from where we used to be, from one house to another. Um, and as we've done so, there are five of us in the family and one dog, and there's been great discussion in the family about adding another person into the family, another pet into the family. Um, and many different ideas have been floated. Um, uh, it might be that at least one person isn't quite ready to add one of those yet, a pet yet, but I'm open to the discussion. Um, but it was interesting, at the same time that we were discussing this, um, I read an article in a National Geographic news article that just happened to pop up in my news feed that pointed out a case of a few different cases, but one specific case in New Mexico of an alligator that was found in the basement. The police were called in and uh, they were called in for some other reason. They looked in the basement, and they saw a fully grown alligator in the basement, and the basement had been just outfitted with just water, basically, so an alligator could live down there. Um, they, of course, uh, took the alligator out because it's illegal to have a pet alligator in most states in the country unless you're a, a zoo or a, a, have a special license to do so, and a basement really isn't a suitable location for an alligator in New Mexico anyways. Turns out that this happens all the time. There's an estimate of something like 5,000 alligators in homes in Michigan alone. 52 get rescued or surrendered in Chicago every year. I mean, people are trying this with regularity to keep a pet alligator. And what's interesting is when they found the alligator in the basement, the alligator was malnourished. It had health problems. It was full-sized. It was lethargic, yet it was still aggressive because it was hungry, right? And what's interesting is you can just consider that somebody would have this alligator, I mean, they're not that big when they're small, have this little pet, but it gets out of control real quick once that thing starts to grow. And all of a sudden, what was a small thing and maybe a little bit cute and endearing now becomes a giant problem that you can't solve on your own sitting in your basement. When we read about the flesh this morning in Paul, that's the problem of the flesh. What looks like a small little problem at first becomes something big and out of control very quickly that we can't solve on our own. 
So the point that I want to make today, and we're really making over the next few weeks as we talk about new birth and new life that only comes through Jesus, is that by nature we are estranged from God. We're out of relationship. We're, we're in the wrong place in that relationship with God. But by God's Spirit, we can be made right with God. That's how the process works. And to be made right, we need to be reborn. Or the fancy word is regenerated, that we use a little bit over the next few weeks. Made new, just like the butterfly that we saw in the children's message. That's what God wants to do through us, starting with Jesus Christ and continuing with His Holy Spirit in us is to regenerate us and make us new. Now, when Paul talks here, let's go back to verse 5, just the first part. It says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. What does Paul mean by the flesh when he uses this word? It's not simply your skin or, or uh, your muscles or something like that. that. That is how it can be used, but Paul means something more specific here. Paul means the sinful nature at work in you and me. Paul means anything that is contrary to God's intent, will, or way at work in our actions and our attitudes and in our heart and beyond from there. That's the flesh. And what does the flesh desire? At its core, the flesh desires me and me first and me only. But, but I want to kind of complicate how that works out in most of our lives because for most of us we can kind of justify that we don't feel like we're always working like me myself we know that urge but sometimes we can kind of push it down and repress it so uh, let's see this image next because I think this is helpful so what you have here is while E. Coyote has painted the tunnel on the side of the mountain basically so who's he trying to catch the roadrunner. So the roadrunner, but, but we've all seen this. Every time he does it, the roadrunner goes right through that painting. Coyote tries to do it, and what does he do? Smacks up against it every single time. It's a facade. It's an image. It looks like the real thing, but it's not actually the real thing. And that's the, the sort of the fooling nature of living in the flesh that happens to us. You see, we live by the flesh, and the flesh really does desire me and myself, but we kind of live as if we actually want the good of others too sometimes and desire that because there's a remnant of God's image still in us. Right? We still reflect God's image even if it's broken. And that, that remnant that's still in us kind of tries to push through, but when we live by the flesh, we get deceived. And what ends up happening is we don't realize how off we are with God, and we end up convincing ourselves that I'm good enough. I'm good enough for God. I'm good enough for this life. I'm good enough for whatever's ahead. And we justify ourselves into thinking that. We paint the tunnel on our lives, but it's not real. We can't get through it. What are the consequences of living by the flesh then? Well, Paul tells us two things in the text. Verse 6, he says, The mind governed by the flesh is death. And we should point out, when Paul is saying this, and he gives more illustrations of this within the whole book of Romans, and really everything that Paul writes is, is getting to this, but the, the death that he's talking about isn't just at the end. This isn't just that we can live by the flesh our entire life and then we can have a deathbed conversion and it's like we've done the right thing. That's not what God desires out of us. That death begins now. In this life, 
before the end, well before the end. As long as we're sinful creatures, that death is actively working to pull us away from God and God's desires. What that means practically is it means a life that is actually uh, reduced in the amount of joy and satisfaction we'll actually experience in this life. We can fool ourselves, we can inoculate ourselves, maybe even the more money we have we can try and cheer ourselves up better and better, but ultimately if we're, if we're not living in the Spirit, we are going away from God's intent and God's desires, and we look less like God and God's character and God's image the more we live that. We're starting to live the death now in this life, Paul says. And furthermore, it's that broken relationship this way that we, we are living out. We're living farther and farther away because we're estranged from God as his family. We should be his children, but we're not because we've broken that relationship through sin. Paul says we're already starting to live death. And then he says it gets worse. Verse 7, he says the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. A hostile spirit Paul tells us, will not submit to God's will. The spirit, the, 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 the person guided simply by the flesh ignores any need for transformation because we continually convince ourselves that I'm good enough. Everything's sufficient. It's okay. But it's not. We're not what God intended and not what God desires when we live in the flesh. And what fixes that? Well, new birth, regeneration, being made new, and it's a work that can't be accomplished in our broken state of hostility towards God. It's like the alligator in the basement. Somebody else needs to come in and help us get that thing out because we can't do it ourselves. We need regeneration by a power outside of ourselves. It starts with Jesus, and it continues with God's Holy Spirit, but it won't happen through the flesh. It won't happen by our sinful nature. That takes us in the other direction. That's death. That's hostility to God. To be regenerated, we need to have a new mind and a new heart, not simply improved habits. So Paul tells us something different. He says, and, and this looks so simple on the page. If you go back to verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires so logical and yet it can be hard to live out when paul uses this term spirit pneuma is the greek word that he's using and it relates to the old testament word uh, for spirit which is ruach they both mean breath as much as they mean spirit paul you can use them in multiple ways but paul's doing something specific with it and he's twisting in a positive way what his readers would have known that word to mean because in the ancient world, in Greek, what Paul's writing in, when you talk about spirit, if somebody would have understood having some kind of a spirit of whatever kind, uh, they would have understood that as being something they could possess and own. I own this spirit or that spirit. But Paul doesn't tell us that that's the case as he goes on and talks about the spirit. He, in fact, twists it completely. Because frankly, we're all drawing breath right now, and the oxygen and the air that's in the world right now around us in this room, masked or unmasked or however we are right now, and do you own the air or do I own the air? None of us own the air. It's God's, right? That's how the Spirit works. We don't own the Spirit. God's Holy Spirit indwells us. God's Holy Spirit comes in, and God is in charge at that point. And so you can ask a, a Holy Spirit question, or kind of a, a question that'll get at the issue of why this matters, uh, if you ask something that 
a common question we ask these days, what are you passionate about? You know, people are passionate about all kinds of things, right? We, we all have passions. We have hobbies, work, school, things we study, things we read, family, whatever it might be, collectibles, you name it. We can be passionate about all kinds of things. The environment, politics, they can consume our energy. And it's not that they're bad things necessarily, but it's really a what question. What are you passionate about? It's a fine question. But the, the issue of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit indwelling you and changing you from being in the flesh to being in the Spirit is really a why question. Because as I said, breath can also be used to mean spirit, and it gets used in both sense. When in the Old Testament, in Genesis, the God's Spirit hovered over the water, that's God's presence, and what does he do? He gives the first breath. He animates from beginning to end. And when we say yes to Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit, we're getting an animating breath to give us new life again. And so the question that we can ask that's kind of like the passion question, but just goes a little further, is what animates you? What gives you life? Not just what are you excited about, but what wakes you up in the morning and keeps you there? Why are you alive? Why are you awake? Why would you have a passion about anything at all? What animates you? That's what God's Holy Spirit is intended to do. And, and what does the Spirit desire? It's really simple. The Spirit desires what God desires. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is God. It desires what God desires. And when we say yes to Jesus, we receive God's presence through, presence through the Holy Spirit. It's not a two-step uh, thing. It's just it all happens together. It's not a separate invitation we need to make. And it animates us and it reshapes us. And all of a sudden, our what will be changed because of our why. What matters to us will change because of who's animating us. Paul says the consequences of life in the Spirit, verse 6, he says life instead of death. That's the consequence. You start to live that now. He says peace, God's best, not just good enough, is what happens when the Spirit comes in. Verse 7, Paul, if we turn around what Paul says, Paul says that the, the life in the flesh, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God and can't submit to God. Paul says, you know what then? The Spirit, the life in the Spirit definitely submits to God. That's what it does. It submits to what God desires. And back in chapter 5, uh, verse 13, Paul said, you know, where there's no law, guess what? You're not guilty of sin, even though sin exists. But he says, but then when you know the law, you're guilty of sin, and the law is out there. What's right and wrong is out there. So everybody stands guilty if they haven't taken care of the problem. And those who live by the Spirit, they recognize that they have sinned, and more importantly, they've taken steps to resolve the problem by the power of Jesus, and then the Holy Spirit enters and begins to transform them. Through the Spirit, we are made right with God, and Paul tells us we become children of God. Previously, we weren't, but it's only through the Spirit that we become children of God, no longer estranged from the family of the Father. Isn't that good news this morning so far? Everybody awake in here? Are you animated? Let's talk about a few implications. If we think about the flesh and life in the flesh, the flesh, life in the flesh can see the value of humans. It's not completely lost. 
Someone living in the flesh can see the value of a human life, but it makes excuses for where sin rules that life. It's that good enough idea that we've been talking about. They say, well, this probably isn't that bad. They make excuses. They can justify wrong behavior. They try to have their cake and eat it too and say, well, God will still desire me and love me and even save me, even, but I can act in ways contrary to him. They're maybe not consciously saying it that way, but they're living that way in the flesh. The problem is that as you keep following that road, redemption becomes unnecessary because why would anything be wrong with me? That's what happens when we live in the flesh. We begin to justify more and more. Redemption becomes unnecessary. And even as you keep teasing that out, and we hear this now, people will say, well, you know, hell probably is not that bad of a place. I may be going there. But frankly, they're thinking in their minds, I'm probably not because God's probably going to accept me anyways and hell's not real. That's life in the flesh. It keeps telling you those lies and keeps walking you down. And when we live life in the flesh, you know what? We don't enjoy this life as God intended, and we definitely don't stand in glory with God in the life to come. It's even greater than this. But life in the Spirit says, without God, I'm a mess. Life in the Spirit says, without God, I'm a mess. Only Jesus can fix this mess and... I'm going to let Jesus do it. Life in the Spirit says, I will not accommodate sin. Life in the Spirit, when we are living in the Spirit, we tell sin, get out of my house. And if sin is living in your house, and we all need to take stock regularly, we need to be willing right now to say, sin, get out of my house. Get out of this house. Get out of my real house. Get out of my house, sin. I want no part of this anything offensive to God. That's what life in the Spirit says. And life in the Spirit also says, you know what, friend? I see sin at work in you and that you are a mess, but I see that you're someone valuable and made in God's image, and you need the Spirit too. You need to be redeemed by the power of the risen Savior. That's life in the Spirit. It's not half measures. It's new birth. I told you at the beginning, we just moved half a mile south of where we were before. We liked our old house. We'd been there for seven years. It was a great house. But it didn't work with some of the accommodations that we've had to make uh, for our family. And we've made accommodations and made adjustments and made adjustments and made adjustments. But after a certain point, it was clear we couldn't accommodate all the accommodations we needed to make in the current setting. So back in February, we started looking for something new, and uh, God really answered in a number of ways, and we moved within the last two weeks. And we're very thankful for what God has done in that. We didn't have a problem with the old house in that sense, but, um, but we needed something that worked. But the real reason behind that is we moved because the accommodations weren't cutting it, and we couldn't accommodate enough. That's actually what Jesus does and what the Holy Spirit then works after we say yes to Jesus. Sometimes we try and just keep accommodating and keep accommodating in the old house, but the new birth says, no, this place needs to be remade. You got to move. You can't accommodate your way out of this. The alligator's grown too big, whatever example you want to use at this point. As we draw this to a close, I'm going to invite the band back up on stage, and I want to just make this simple invitation that As we talk about life in the flesh versus life in the spirit, 
Um, if you're someone who hasn't said yes to Jesus, today's a great day to do it because that's how this all begins. And if you're someone who said yes to Jesus and you're considering what life in the Spirit looks like, I want to give the uh, constant reminder that we can sometimes undervalue the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And when I say things like, you know, make sure we get sin out of our house, it's always trying to creep in. The Spirit is trying to help us transform and get that stuff out of there. So really do a real assessment and make sure that the Spirit is at work and that you're allowing the Spirit, not blocking the Spirit from working in all areas of your life so that sin can get out of your house and that transformation can be full in you. And you can be not just good enough, but living joyously and living God's best. And I'll give you this example or this uh, encouragement from George Whitfield from the 1700s. He said, when the Spirit begins to work, we receive a new appetite, new motivation, new passions, a new heart. And it takes time to grow that new heart. The renewal of our natures is a work of great importance. It's not to be done in a day. We have not only a new house to build up, but an old one to pull down. But as we begin that transformation, a few final words from Paul. Down in verses 12 and beyond, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, but if, you live, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And here's the good news. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. By nature, we're estranged from God. We're out of the family. We're out of relationship. But God says, by the work of my Son and my Holy Spirit, I will bring you back and make you my children again. And for that, we need to be made right. We need to be reborn and made new. Let's pray together. Lord, it was King David who prayed, create in me a clean heart. Do that for us today. Where we're watching this or listening to this and we haven't said yes to your son Jesus Christ, Lord, would today be the day? Would your spirit work on each individual hearing this prayer right now and hearing your word today and say yes to Jesus if they haven't already? And Lord, where we've said yes to your son Jesus Christ, would we look in and by the power of your spirit remove those blocks and those barriers and those walls that keep us from dealing with those parts of the flesh that still remain, that need to be torn down, that we can in fact truly be transformed by your spirit to be made new. Lord, I thank you that you want to make us your children. You don't want us to be separated. And there's so many important things we can do in this world, so many things we can be passionate about, but God, if we're not passionate about you, those are all for naught, they're nothing, they're worthless. God, we want to be joyful people, We want to experience the best, your shalom, and the satisfaction you have for us in this life, which means we will enjoy things in this life. We have to start by enjoying you. So may we enjoy you today in your presence and be transformed. Amen.